Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all this morning. This fine, beautiful fall day. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of John, John chapter 9. We've already had our scripture read this morning, but that's okay. We are going to start there. So um, open your Bibles there to John chapter 9. And, and would you join with me as we pray and ask God's guidance on his word this morning? Father, we trust in you this morning with all of our heart. We do not lean on our own understanding. We seek to acknowledge you in all of our ways, knowing that you will direct our paths. In these days that are evil, these days that are dark, days of uncertainty like days that have gone before us, knowing that you are our most sovereign and high and holy and lifted up God of the universe, You do not change. Your understanding is inscrutable. You know the end from the beginning. And it is to you that we flee. Pray for your help and understanding, your word this morning, not only just to take notes and understand theology, but that we would be changed into the likeness of Christ, for that is the purpose of this story and all that we're looking at this morning. So we pray, Father, for uh, the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Father, where there is sin, would you convict us? Where there is repentance, would you grant forgiveness? Where there is despair, would you give hope? And we look to you, Father, as the one who, who gives all that we need, no matter what that need is this morning. So we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you saw this morning, the story that we're going to look at is the story of Jesus healing a blind man, and uh, it's one of many. Jesus' miracles uh, include him healing many blind people. In fact, of all the miracles that he performed, he did more uh, healing of blind people than, than anything. Some years ago, there was a woman that we were ministering to who was blind, and I don't recall now whether she was blind from birth or not, but um, uh, we were ministering to her, and um, it was interesting how her senses, her other senses were trained because of her blindness. One time she was riding in the car with my wife, who was taking her somewhere to do some shopping, and she said to my wife, boy, you sure do drive slowly, and she does, <laughs> she does. <laughs> How does she know that? I mean, how did she know that she was going just the speed limit? How did she know? Because she could tell by the vibration of the car on the road and the RPMs of the engine and, and of course, the, the other cars whizzing past by, you know, she could tell, why do you drive so slowly? Um, in another instance, uh, I learned something. Um, she called, wanted some help at her house, and one of my sons and I went. It was early evening. And when we, we first came to her house, my son said, Dad, I don't think anybody's home. And I knocked on the door, and immediately she opened the door because she said later, well, I heard you coming. But when she opened the door, it was pitch black in there. Well, of course it was. She didn't have a light on in the house. Why would she? No reason for it, but it startled me at the moment because it just that's not my experience. People who are blind don't know what they can't see. Right? And what is true in the physical world is true in the spiritual world as well. 
people who are spiritually blind, they don't know what they can't see. And they can't see what they don't know because they are indeed spiritual blind. And the story of this man gaining his sight is about more than just a man who was blind and he is healed from that. But it is a picture of Jesus as the light of the world coming into the world, giving spiritual light to the spiritual blind. And that's what this story is about. The, this chapter is devoted to this miracle. Um, and it, well, we're gonna, so we're going to look at it for over a couple of weeks. And of course, Christ is the center of the miracle, but also this man. It's, it's interesting how his personality and his character is developed throughout the chapter and we're going to see that he takes center stage as well. And even into the next few chapters, uh, this healing is going to be referred to numerous times because it is a notable event, as it were. It is something that, is, that Jesus does that is, that is uh, amazing. This is the sixth of the seven signs. Remember in our, our introduction to the book of John, there are seven miracles, seven signs that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And this is the sixth. Um, the next one is the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and that's the last of his miracles besides his own resurrection. But this is the sixth one. We haven't seen Jesus perform any miracles since he walked on water and since he uh, fed the 5,000 way back in, in Galilee, probably um, uh, six months to a year, a year and a half before. So it's been some time since Jesus performed a miracle. Um, six of the seventh signs remember the purpose of the signs. It's important for us to go back always as we go through the book of John 20, 30, and 31. It says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This story that we've read, the story that we tell about today, its purpose is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of this story. It's also uh, something that fulfills messianic expectations. I could read Uh, a whole uh, litany of verses, but just one from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 18. On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The afflicted also will increase their gladness in the Lord, and the needy of mankind will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. When Messiah comes, he will raise the dead. He will unstop... uh, uh, the ears of those who cannot hear. He will, he will give sight to the blind. That's why, um, remember, when John when, was in prison and he had some, some questions, is this really the Messiah? And he sent word to Jesus, and Jesus sent word back saying, the dead are raised, the lame walk, the blind see. That's all you need to know. Messiah has come. So we are continuing the theme, really, of the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. Remember back in chapter, um, chapter 8, uh, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And so he is, in this case, bringing physical and spiritual light to this man who was blind. So far in John's gospel, just let me recount for you, because it's important to, to understand this. 
about the light. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In chapter 3, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. And then in 8, verse 12, during the great uh, Feast of Tabernacles, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we're continuing in that theme of Jesus being the light of life. So, as we continue, we're going to see that this man is not only blind, in specifically, but in general, it's a, it's a symbol of suffering for all people because he is, like all of us, broken in some way. Um, he has deficiencies in his life, physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually, and um, we, we learn from this. So the first thing I want you to understand is this. We should accept suffering to the glory of God. Accept suffering to the glory of God. Embrace the suffering that comes into your life. Receive it because it has purpose. Embrace that suffering. This man, um, this will just happen to him. And we're going to see what happens to his faith. At this point, we don't really know what he believes. We're going to see uh, the faith of, the, of this man unfold in the next couple of weeks. But for us... As we see the example of this man, this is a great lesson to begin with. Um, Verses 1 through 3. As he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I want you to understand, uh, Jesus notices people. He notices blind beggars. He notices people along the way. He notices people people who are hurting, and he calls attention to that. And his, his disciples asked him, Rabbi... Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Interesting question. They thought, well, this is a good opportunity for a theological discussion. Uh, let's talk about homardiology. Let's talk about anthropology. Let's, let's talk about theodicy. You know, if God is good, why is there suffering? All of these things. They want to have a, a theological discussion and then move on to lunch. Probably missing an opportunity for a divine and human kindness to be shown to this man. But they want to have this theological discussion, which is actually okay. It's a good question. Why is this man suffering? We do know that all suffering is caused by sin. But whose sin is it? Is it this man, his own sin, or his mother? Uh, Interesting. How could this man be blind from birth and his sin or his blindness is, is, the cause, is caused by his own sin. Uh, doesn't make much sense, does it? Uh, some of the rabbis actually taught that when Jacob and Esau were in their mother's womb and there was the struggling you know, that came out that uh, uh, actually resulted in them being at odds with one another the rest of their lives, some rabbis thought that they sinned in the womb. They were actually fighting and, and they were being held responsible for that sin. And so... Uh, some rabbis believe that there were there was a uh, some distant schools of rabbinics who also taught that there might have been some pre-existence of the soul in which a person may have have sinned and the Bible doesn't teach that, but in our world some people teach that. There are some worldviews, there are some belief systems, Eastern religions. You see a blind beggar by the road, you know who sinned? He did in his past life. Reincarnation is not all it's cracked up to be, is it? 
People think it's, 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 uh, it's, you know, it's hip and it's cool, you know, what I used to be and what I'm going to be. No, 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 no. You are, you are suffering today for your past lives. And, of course, the Bible does not teach that as well. So this was still a, a typical understanding of people in the day of Jesus or in Judaism, perhaps, that someone's suffering was due to sin. Think about Job. What did his uh, uh, detractors, his good friends say, come on, Job, come on, think, think, think here. What did you do? There must be something that you did. Nobody suffers like this without being responsible. And that was the typical view of suffering from the Jewish point of view. If you're suffering, you probably deserve it. You have done something to deserve it. And so they were asking the question, and, uh, and was it him who sinned in his, in his womb or whatever? Or was it his parents who sinned, and he's just um, bearing the consequences of that? His answer was this in verse 3. It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was for the glory of God. It was what was. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but it, him being blind from birth, his life so far in darkness, it has been for the purpose of displaying the works of God, the glory of God. This man's life had a purpose of displaying the glory of God by his suffering. Um, By the way, we haven't seen any mention of the disciples since he was in Galilee. And here he is talking to his disciples and he's teaching them. And um, they, they, they have this discussion and, and he's going to show them these things. Remember, these things were written, he did to, for his disciples that we would believe that he is the Messiah. And Jesus is, is explaining to them the, the purpose of the healing that he's about to do is to demonstrate that he is the light of the world, to demonstrate the works of God, to demonstrate the glory of God. So Jesus is not saying that neither the man nor his parents had ever sinned. He's just saying that this specific illness has another explanation, something that's different. So here are some things that we can take. Uh, some, let's just kind of take a theological Uh, excursus for just a moment, just very briefly. Number one, all illness is the result of sin. All of the ills of this world are the result of sin. Every brokenness, every weed in the garden, every um, withdrawn bank account, everything that happens uh, to us in life that is bad is the result of sin in general in the world. We live in a fallen world. The world is under a curse. And then we sin specifically, and sometimes those sins we are held accountable for. But all illness, whether it's cancer or dementia or neuropathy or whatever it may be, whatever you may have, it is caused by the fall of man in brokenness in this world. Second of all, some illnesses are the result of personal sin. Some are. In 1 Corinthians 11, we we took communion, but one of the things that Jesus says there, examine yourselves before you partake of communion. And it's a very serious thing, he says, because 
In Corinth, some people were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, and he said, some of you are sick and some of you even sleep. In other words, are dead because of the sin of partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. In 1 John, John says, there is a sin unto death. In other words, God holds his children accountable for sin. If we go off and we go off on a tangent and we we go into some kind of unrepentant sin, uh, it's possible that there could be an illness in our life that is a result of his his, his discipline because he loves us and he wants to bring us back to repentance into a relationship with him. Third, innocents sometimes suffer the consequences of other sins. Um, sometimes children do suffer because of the sin of their parents, the consequences. I mean, there are all sorts of wayward parents who are on drugs, who are on alcohol, who are selfish, who are lazy, who do not obey the law who are immoral in all manner of things, and who suffers? The two-year-old, the five-year-old, the teenager. Because mom or dad has gone off the rails. Mom or dad is involved in sin. And sometimes, yes, uh, the consequences of other sins affect those who are innocent, but it is not the innocent who are responsible for that sin. Four, Some illnesses are not the result of personal sin. In fact, I would say most illnesses are in that category. Um, Job, again. Um, Again, his friends are saying, come on, there's got to be something you've done that is wrong. And Job was a righteous man. He did not, from the standpoint of what they thought, deserve what was happening to him. Um, The Apostle Paul said, because of illness, I preach to you. And in, uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he said, God sent a, a, a thorn in the flesh to me so that I would not exalt myself, that I would be humble before you. And I prayed three times for him to remove it. And he said, no. He said, my, my grace is sufficient and my strength will be perfected in your weakness. So sometimes the things, and most of the times, the things that come into our lives that are illnesses are just because the world is broken, because we all suffer, and no one is immune. And that one of the, the great questions in the Old Testament was, why do the righteous suffer when the wicked seem to get away with all manner of things? And we wonder that sometimes too. This wonderful woman, this wonderful man who gets a brain tumor and dies you know, an early death, They were a beautiful Christian. Why did that happen when we know wicked people that nothing is ever wrong in their life? It's all due to sin, and no one has been given a pass when it comes to the effects of the curse. This one, however, this man's illness, I think falls into a special category all of its own. That his whole life was given for this purpose The decades of, we don't know how old he is, we'll find out later, his parents come and and talk to the religious leaders and say, he's old enough to speak for himself. He could be 20, he could be 30. So decades of darkness were all for this very moment when, when he would see, so that some would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. His very life was given for this purpose. It's it's remarkable when you think about it. In God's sovereignty, he planned that this man's life would be one of the focal points of the ministry of Jesus Christ. When Messiah would give give sight to the blind, 
and people will give glory to God. And some would believe, think about it, this man, uh, for thousands of years, this story has been preached. How many times? Thousands, ten thousands, hundreds of thousands of times, perhaps millions of times. And God has been given glory for this man's life. Do you think he's in heaven going, man, I wish I could get back those 20 years? No, he's in heaven saying, this eternal weight of glory was due to my suffering and the glory of God that lasts into eternity is because of this man's life of suffering. What a perspective, huh? What a perspective to have. And that's what his life is all about. So that even today, there may be some in this room or hear this message, because this man suffered and his eyes were opened, you may believe. This may be the moment, the day, that your eyes are opened because of this man's suffering. Wow. This man's life had purpose. And there may have been those who thought he's just a blind beggar. What is he's worth? Nothing? No. In the economy of God, in the sight of God, this man's life had incredible, incredible purpose. The lesson for us. We must believe that good can and will come from our suffering. There is nothing that comes into your life that is without purpose. There is nothing that comes into your life that doesn't first pass through His gracious hands, that He is not tailor-made for you. All that happens to you is for His glory and ultimately for your growth, for your holiness, your sanctification, and your good, everything Romans 8, you know the verses. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That is bedrock theology. That is not a band-aid. That is the truth of God's word. And he goes on to say this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? There isn't anything that that could come into your life that is apart from God's will and is good and is glory for you Nothing can come against you that will defeat you. Death or life or principalities or powers or any other created thing, he ends the chapter with. We must believe that good can and will come through our suffering. Yes, sin is the the cause of all the ills of the world. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, We do not lose heart for momentary light affliction. Momentary. It's only in this earth. Light compared to what is to be revealed in the future. Momentary light of affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. We take an eternal perspective to our suffering and recognizing that there is a greater glory that is, is far beyond any comparison to any suffering that we have in this life, no matter how bad it is. 
and sometimes it is bad, I know. But there is a greater glory that outweighs it in a way that we cannot even begin to comprehend. You know, we may not always know the reason for suffering. Was it this man's sin or the woman's mother's sin or his dad's sin or somebody else's? We may not always know. I can tell you in decades of ministry, uh, walking with people through times of tragedy, you know what people want to know? Why? Why, God? Why is this happening? What is the purpose of this? I won't say the short answer, but the long answer, the real answer, the greater answer is to his glory. That we must submit to his sovereign will and that is ultimately to his glory and it's how we respond. If we suffer well with grace and with dignity and with faith, we will see that glory. And, and that is, that's again, not a band-aid uh, answer either. It is the absolute truth of what God's word says. But there might be other reasons we don't know that others come to Christ. Most of them, we, sometimes we find those out in, in, in this life. Most of them we will find out later on. This person suffered these years of cancer. This person went through this time of debilitation. And uh, their testimony was such that this person was, uh, was, was drawn to Christ. This person was encouraged. God was glorified. And we will see that purpose eventually. But we must believe that it is true. Good will come, however hard it is at the moment. If I were to ask you, um, if you were to look back on this past week, what are the, the things that really you would be thankful for this week? What's something you could thank God for? What would it be? Had a check come in the mail? Was a parking spot when you went to see the doctor <laughs> opened up? Um, somebody wrote you a note? What was it that came into your life that you would give thanks to God for? This, this week I had opportunity to talk to we have two ladies in the church who are both going through uh, chemotherapy for uh, breast cancer. They're just a couple of weeks apart in terms of their course. Independent of one another, they both said this. Their family said this. We don't know how those who do not have Christ can go through these things. They both said that independent of each other. Many of you probably saw... Katie Wykovic's praise this week. There was a, those of you who are on the prayer chain. She's over the moon praising God. You know why? Because they cut her, her chemotherapy dose in half. Praising God for that. The good thing that happened to her in her life. She sees the good in it. In fact, she even said to me, I, I'm, I know that God has a purpose for my life beyond this, and I can't wait to see what it is. Little Bree and, uh, and Becky going through this cancer trial once again. Um, I'm amazed at the, their strength and their dignity that they have not given up on God, but they walk with him and they're resilient. God is good. And there is an ultimate triumph of good over these things in God's economy. One day we will all be restored. So, embrace, accept, receive the suffering that God has for you because it has purpose, and that great purpose is His glory. 
We come to the, the heart of the story here in verses 4 through 7 where I encourage you to steward opportunities to the glory of God. Make most, the most of the opportunities that God brings into your life. We are stewards of our finances. We are stewards of, of our uh, families and relationships. We're stewards of our jobs. We're stewards of our health. We're stewards of our time. And we're stewards of the opportunities that God brings into our lives to serve Him. And we see this in this healing of this man. Verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, We must work the works of him who sent me. As long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of, of the world. Notice he says we. Again, he's with his disciples for we haven't seen them since uh, way back in, in Galilee. And, and up to this point, he keeps talking to the, the Jewish leaders and he has said over and over and over again, the Father sent me. He who sent me is the one that I have to deal with. I, I do nothing on my own initiative. The Father sent me. The Father sent me. He sent me. I do his will, will because he is the one who sent me over and over and over again. And now he includes his disciples and by extension us in his ministry. We must. It's a divine necessity. We must work the works of him who sent me. And later on, when he raises from the dead, he says, As the Father has sent me, I send you. He has sent us. He has sent us to do the same thing. He who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am the world, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. A little bit hard to understand, but I think the simplest uh, explanation of this is Jesus is saying, my time on this earth is limited. I'm here like for a day. Night comes when I'm gone. And um, we can only do this together right now, but he's, he's speaking to the fact that, that uh, we have limited opportunities in life. Later on in John 13, um, when, when he, he gives the morsel to, uh, uh, to, to Judas... And Judas went out immediately, and then it says it was night. First John, or First Corinthians 11, Paul says, "For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, there was a night that came in in the life of Christ when He was betrayed, and His time on this earth, physically in the incarnation, was up." And the principle is that our timing is, is such that we, we only have limited opportunities. He goes on to say in verses 6 and 7, we see the healing. When he had said this, I am the light of the world. When he had said, this man's illness is for the glory of God. When he had said, I'm just here for a limited time with you. He spat on the ground. Wow. Made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to this man's eyes. What an earthy way to heal someone. By the way, Jesus deals in individual ways with individual people. He does with us. He did with this man. And every healing that he did was different from another. He never did them the same. And he said to the man, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent, John's little commentary there. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Very simple. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So he went away and washed and came back. What, what is he doing with the, 
the clay and the spittle and all this. I think he's creating something that was not there, sight in this man. One of the creative properties of light that in his person that he is able to create because in the very beginning in Genesis, God took dust of the ground and he breathed life into it and made man out of the dust. And in this case, this man is, is born lacking, deficient. He has no sight. It doesn't exist. And he spits in the ground and he makes clay and he puts it on his eyes as a creative act to bring something into existence that does not exist. Sight for this man. Demonstrating that he is not only the light of the world, but that he is the creator God of the world. Let me remind you of the prologue that the themes keep coming up over and over again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. He's also the Creator. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. He made all things, and He's the light of the world. Light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see these two ideas coming together, that he is the creator and that he is the light of the world by creating this light in this man's eyes who could not see and had never seen anything in his life. Jesus is God. He is therefore creator of all things. And he creates light and sight in this man's life. Symbolism here is obvious. The light is... As the light, Jesus opens the eyes of this man he cannot see because he's in darkness, as we are in spiritual darkness. This man's blindness is caused by the curse of sin, but it will be reversed by the light of the world. That's what he does. A couple of other things that are happening here that are important. He sends him to the pool of Siloam. Remember, Jesus has said over and over again, um, The Father sent me, the Father sent me, the Father sent me. He said here, we must do the work of the one who sent me. And there's a play on this idea of being sent. And he sends him to the pool of Siloam. Remember uh, from our previous messages about the Feast of Tabernacle? Remember what they did every day? The, The priest would go to the pool of Siloam. He would take a pitcher of water and he would draw from the pitcher and they would have this procession to the altar and they would pour this out while they were singing praises of God about the the, the water in the wilderness, the living water that comes from uh, God himself. And on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and he said, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink and I will give to him rivers of living water. He fulfilled that at that moment. But remember the other ritual that they were in, what was involved in the Feast of Tabernacle, the lighting of those giant torches that rose above the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem around the temple. And people could see that. And, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So these two ideas converge. He is the living water. He is the light of life. In the healing of this man, he both is able to drink, he is both able to see, all because of Christ the Messiah. A couple of lessons. While we have opportunity, we must work the works of light. Our time on this earth is limited. Um, Jesus' time was three years. 
He's giving us an example. He made the most of the time. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Are the days evil? Yes, they are. They're dark. Galatians 6.10, it says, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. So don't pass up those opportunities of the blind beggar by the street or whatever it may be. And you know what it is, those times when you just believe you should be doing something. You think that uh, uh, you see a need and there's a moment you think, yeah, I should probably need, meet that need and help this person out or uh, give this person a call. And no, I got other things to do. I'm going to lunch. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it happens to me all the time. We must make use of those opportunities. I, I told you some months ago about a guy that I met when I was out running in my neighborhood, older gentleman, who's full of lots of folksy wisdom. And it was out yesterday, and I was meditating on this very passage, went past his house, saw him out in, in, the, in the yard. He waved at me, and I went past, and I thought, nope, i got to go back and talk to him. I can't pass up the opportunity. So I went back, and I, he said, yeah, I remember you. You're the preacher, right? And I said, yeah. And I said, this is what I'm preaching on. You know, I'm preaching on tomorrow. Um, we have to make the most of our opportunities in life. And he was sitting down. He had been mowing. And he said, you know, when you get to be 73, and I said, Bill, you're not 73. And he said, okay. When you get to be 83, and I said, Bill, because I know how old he is. And he said, well, here's the thing. You know when, when life is short. When I fill out the date on a letter or something, and I write October 20, and I know that my birthday, I was born in 27. My time is getting short. So he's 93. He'll be 94 this next year. He knows that his time is short, and um, he understands that. And I asked him, I, the reason I went back is I didn't really have a conversation with him before about what he believes. And I said, Bill, do you know Christ? And he said, when I'm out here, he said, he said, yes, I do, I believe. He said, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Oh, yeah. And he said, um, you know, about this whole time thing, he said, they used to say in vaudeville, when you're getting long in the tooth, and for those of you who are younger, long in the tooth means you're getting older. He said, when you're getting long in the tooth, don't buy any green bananas. <laughs> there you have it. Make the most of the opportunities. Second of all, God restores our sight, but it's only the beginning. For not all are healed in this life. This man's sight was restored. He's still going to die. Lazarus would be raised from the dead. He would still die. Not all are healed in this life. Think of it. There are many people born with many deficiencies. Many are born blind. They never see. Many are born without limbs. Some have physical anomalies. Some have lifelong uh, propensity to pain and certain diseases. Some have mental limitations. Some are born with something like Down syndrome. We have two young ladies in our congregation that have Down syndrome. They bring me joy when I see them. 
sitting behind Piper here a couple of weeks ago and she was doing the hand motions and singing and what a joy she is to her parents and was talking to Lisa this week about Hope, her daughter, and what an incredible joy she is to her family. These girls have purpose. They point to something that is of God, the image of God, the joy that is in them, the joy that they bring, even though people might look at them and say, and in this throwaway world of abortion, that they don't deserve to live, God made them in his image. And one day, by their simple childlike faith in Jesus Christ, they will be made whole. They will be made new. They will be restored And that is the hope that all of us have who place our hope in Jesus Christ. This man's blindness, going away, regaining his sight, or not regaining, getting sight for the very first time, is just a picture of what yet is to come in the future for him. So what do we do with this? Verses 8 through 12. Speak truth to the glory of God. Speak truth to the glory of God. This man, this man just says what happened to him. This man tells the truth about who Jesus is, even though he's questioned, even though people don't want to believe him. It's almost kind of funny. Verse 8 says, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar, apparently he goes home, he doesn't go back to Jesus. I don't think he's seen the face of Jesus yet. But his neighbors and people who know him, they're saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? The expected answer is, Yes, but the way they're asking it is, this can't be the guy. He's blind. This guy's not blind. Others were saying, this is he. Still, others were saying, no, but he's like him. Kind of looks like the guy, but it's not really him, is it? Because that guy's blind and this guy's not blind, so it can't be him, right? And he says, no, it is me. (laughs) Believe me, I know who I am. It is I, he says literally. I am he. So they were trying to they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? Skeptical still, even though they recognize that he can see. Well, how did this happen? It's a process sin, right? He answered, The man who is called notice his, his testimony. The man who is called Jesus calls him by name, gives him the credit, gives him the glory. He made clay anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received my sight. Pretty simple. Did he add anything to it? Nope. Did he leave anything out? Did he embellish the story in any way? He just told the simple truth of what happened to him. And then they said to him, well, where is he? I don't know. He said, I don't know. It's the truth. Um, They ask him this question, isn't this the one who used to beg? How were your eyes opened? And then they recognized that his eyes were open. How did this happen to you? Where is the man who did this? Each question is an attempt to deny the reality of what God has done. Each question was a denial of the truth that was right before them. Each question was a denial of the truth that they could see with their very own eyes. That this man who could not see, could now see. Right before them. They were blind. 
not him. They were blind. Two things I want us to see. People will suppress the truth that is evident to them. People will do that. Even when the truth is right before them, they will suppress it. They will deny it. Romans 1, 18 and 19. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. In Romans 1, he's talking about special revelation and God makes the, through the world, he, everybody was, is without excuse that God exists, but this, uh, general revelation rather, this is special revelation. This man who was blind miraculously now sees there's no excuse for them disbelieving. But we can't expect those who are spiritually blind to see what they cannot see, right? Not until Jesus opens their eyes and we are the ones who help with that. That's our opportunity. We work for the light till the night comes because we have the truth and we need to speak that truth. Which brings us to the second thing I want you to see. The simple word of our testimony is powerful. Just tell people what God said, God said, what God did, what he's done for you. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't embellish it. Don't make up your story uh, more fantastic than it is. Make Jesus the star, not you. Make him the center of attention and the one that the story is about. Proverbs 12:17 says this, whoever speaks truth gives honest evidence. When you speak truth, you give evidence that is just honest and you let the truth lie. You let it take people where it will. You let God use it in their life. But speak truth. Speak truth. Now imagine this man never saw anything in his life, never saw any shapes, never saw any light or shadows, never saw any colors, never saw his mother's face when he nursed, never saw his dad when he talked to him as he was growing up. But this is the day that changed it all. Something that would happen to him that was beyond his ability to even perceive or understand because there was no way that he could ever even understand what being sighted means. And on this day, his life changed. And so he does for us when he opens our eyes to see the truth of who Jesus Christ is. When he opens our eyes, we're able to see things we could not have seen before, to know things we could not have known before, to perceive truth we did not know before. We were not even able to, to know these things. We have a perception. We have an understanding. We have the light of Christ within us because we believe, because our eyes have been opened the Messiah, the light of the world, brings sight to our eyes when we believe that he is who he said he is. So, finally, in conclusion, we are all blind from birth, are we not? We are all in spiritual darkness. Sin is the cause. Christ is the cure. Will you believe? Father, we thank you for this man. 
Jesus, who healed another man, Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of those who are spiritually blinded this morning to understand his love for them, to understand that he died for their sins, to take them away that they might see and live and be whole in all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.